Auto Line This Week is underwritten in part by... In this epic battle of fuel efficiency and endurance, we're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The Hybrid Game MPG Challenge. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for having joined us on AutoLine this week. You know, the auto industry has to hit 54.5 miles per gallon average in about a decade's time. That means they're really going to have to work some magic with their powertrains, their engines in particular. And that's why I've got three experts on this joining me for today's show, including Jamie Standring from Chrysler, Mazen Hamoud from Ford and Jordan Lee from General Motors. I want to thank you all for joining me here on AutoLine this week. Pleasure, John. Uh, Jordan, let's start with you. A lot of people have said, woo, 54 miles and a half per gallon. That's the end of the V8 engine, and yet you all just came out with a new small block V8 at GM. I'm betting you don't think the small block V8 is going away anytime soon. No, it, it's clearly not going away anytime soon. We're very proud of the Gen 5 engines that we're going to be introducing throughout the rest of this calendar year. Uh, we've had the media launch for the LT1 going in the all-new 2014 Corvette Stingray and the all-new line of pickup trucks that are going to be getting the Gen 5 engines as well. We've done tremendous things with uh, fundamental engineering, uh, combustion. We've applied new technologies like uh, SIDI, high compression, high efficient engines, and cylinder deactivation where we actually deactivate four of the eight cylinders on the V8 and four of the six cylinders on our V6. Significant improvements in fuel economy, drivability, refinement. Uh, I think you're going to be very pleased when you get a chance to drive them. And what you're going to find here, too, is that all these different companies have different strategies of how to go about this. And, and Mazen, I know that uh, you're really focused on electrification of engines, hybrids in particular. What we uh, have been focusing on is really what we call the power of choice, is giving the customer the right application powertrain for their usage. We have, as you know, our EcoBoost, which is a very successful downsizing and boosting strategy. And uh, that, you know, we, has been extremely successful in the F-150 with the 3.5 GTDI, as well as our EcoBoost 2-liter in, um, uh, in the Escape and the Edge and many other applications, the Explorer. And we've introduced the 1.6. We have a 1.5 coming. We have a 1-liter uh, coming to North America from, from Europe as well. And then we also now offer, offer our third generation electrified powertrains with our hybrids and the Fusion Hybrid and uh, C-Max Hybrid, which is an all-electrified uh, vehicle line for us in North America, as well as our plug-in hybrids in the Fusion and uh, the C-Max. So it's really a whole suite of powertrain solutions all aimed at efficiency and giving the customer what they uh, like in a fun-to-drive application. And Jamie, even though we're talking about engines here, it's really the powertrain, right? I mean, you've got to combine exactly. the, the transmission and everything that goes along with it. Exactly. At Chrysler, we're, we're looking at the total systems approach. So we consider both the engine, transmission, transfer case, axles, everything together. Um, we combine that to look for um, releasing efficiencies of the system. 
So that's what's allowed us in, in the Ram 1500, for example, to deliver great fuel efficiency with the V6 eight speeds and the V8 eight speeds. You're talking 25 miles per gallon with the V6 and yeah. the eight speed as a, as a highway number. Very proud of that. And I never thought I'd live to see the day that a pickup truck would get 25 miles to the gallon. Yeah, that's, that's as I said, <laughs> that's the benefit of looking at the total system and combining it with all kinds of um, technologies. So we've got electric power steering on that truck, reducing the electrical demand. We've got uh, transmission thermal management, which warms the transmission up. Um, when you first start, gets the uh, ATF up to an ideal temperature for efficient use. Um, the eight speed is a 7.3 ratio spread, huge ratio spread allows us to, to really uh, make an efficient product. Uh, Jordan, I wanna go back to you though. I mm -hmm. mean, it, it's intriguing. The V8 engine can, the, the small block architecture yeah. at General Motors goes back to what, like 1955 or something like mm -hmm. that. You, you touched on some of the technologies that you have used to make this engine a whole mm -hmm. lot better. But what's the basic benefits of having this uh, engine design that's well over half a century mm -hmm. old uh, that is a pushrod two-valve design? Uh, what is it about this thing that still makes it attractive? Power density. Uh, the engine is very compact for the amount of power and torque that it delivers. Uh, it's, that's very important for Corvette. Um, whenever we do an all-new Corvette, we look at all sorts of powertrain options. And GM does a lot of double-over cam engines. We do a lot of turbocharged engines. We understand all the technologies, and we do all of them very well. Uh, but the Corvette is a very unique car for us. It's, it's, it's historic as the small block is, and it requires a very powerful, very torquey engine that's very compact and small. And if we put the cams up on the cylinder heads, the engine just gets bigger. It gets bigger, it gets heavier, and the Corvette's no longer the high-performance sports car we want it to be. So for Corvette, the small block continues to evolve generation after generation as the powertrain of choice because it does everything so exceptionally well targeted for that car. Very small, very compact, tremendous power and torque. Uh, but yet you'll see also the fuel economy is pretty phenomenal. We introduced cylinder deactivation. We call it internally GM AFM or active fuel management, and we're able to run in four-cylinder mode a lot of the time. Uh, competing strategies, we were talking a little bit earlier with Mazen. Ford has a unique strategy or approach to take a small engine and make it look bigger when they need, it, need more power and torque with boosting. Uh, and we have taken a little different approach with our engines, especially in pickup trucks. We've taken a bigger engine and we're able to make it look small a lot of the time by deactivating cylinders. It reduces pumping work and it gives you very good fuel economy. We're also very focused on real world fuel economy. Uh, we've all seen very high fuel economy labels on cars that are very impressive. And then when you try and get the fuel economy on the label, it's difficult. And we're cognizant of that. We want to make sure that in the real world, that the average driver, just normal driving, not driving with an egg under their foot on the accelerator, is able to get good fuel economy. And we think our approach with the Gen 5 engines has really done that exceptionally well. A lot of competitor rides we've been on, as we're developing the Gen 5, we consistently get better real world fuel economy. And a lot of that is based on the fact that we took a, an engine that has a very efficient combustion system. I think I told you we spent six million hours, computational analysis hours on developing that combustion system. And the entire engine was 10 million hours worth of time. Uh, but by doing that, we're able to raise the compression ratio to 11 to one. So we're always operating in a very high efficiency mode, even when we're under a light load, uh, moderate load or heavy load. And as a result, uh, we have a lot more torque. 
Uh, we can run in four-cylinder mode a lot more of the time, and the fuel economy benefits are pretty pretty significant in the real world. And the label numbers are pretty good, too. That, that's a really good issue. Mazda and Ford has come under criticism for some of its hybrids not being able to match the label. What's the company trying to do to bring the, the real-world numbers more in line with what's on the, the EPA label? I think uh, a lot of it was the time when we launched our latest generation hybrid in the winter time where people tend to warm up the cars and this is where you lose a lot of the fuel in warm up, short trips, as well as the uh, use of climate control. So we talked about uh, you know, optimizing the entire system around the powertrain and really minimizing uh, the uh, tr uh, parasitic losses are related to climate control and uh, related to some of the warm-up of the fluids, et cetera, uh, is, is where a lot of our engineering has gone. And as, as things start war warming up now, uh, you can see uh, the reported fuel economy from the customers is really uh, at or above the uh, uh, label. And you, you, you will find that uh, the Ford uh, uh, powertrains, we emphasize the fun-to-drive aspect, too. So you give the customer that capability. We're not compromising you know, performance for fuel. We're providing an end solution. Now, when you have that fun-to-drive aspect, you get in a F-150 with the 3.5 EcoBoost, that thing goes. Talk about low-end torque. Well, it's low-end, mid-end, and high-end torque. It's a very flat torque curve that we calibrated. And you provide you know, more than 90% of the operating range at that peak torque. Customers take advantage of that. Now, they, they can choose to do that and, and get pretty good fuel economy or drive more conservatively and accelerate smoothly, decelerate smoothly, plan your stops in a hybrid, plan your stops to get regenerative to a maximum, then you can really get the label and better and get drive for fuel economy. And well, that's what we've done with our dealer uh, education and our customer coaching, both offline and uh, in, in publications, as well as in the vehicle. In the cluster, we have great HMI system with uh, you know, coaching tools for the customer to maximize the fuel. Jamie, where does uh, Chrysler come down in this whole real-world versus EPA label? We're very much focused on the real-world fuel economy. Um, we look carefully at the customer requirements for our vehicles, look at the um, performance needs, the capability needs, and the fuel efficiency, and try and balance the whole thing out. As I said, using a systems approach, we can basically look for efficiencies in every nook and cranny. We're turning over every stone looking for that, um, so that in the real world, we get the benefit. I mentioned transmission thermal management. That's uh, a prime example of giving the customer the fuel economy benefit. It has a limited benefit on the EPA cycle, and yet in everyday real-world driving, the customer sees the benefit. So you're literally warming up the fluid inside the transmission. We, we take the um, coolant from the engine and send it back to a heat exchanger on the transmission in the, in the Ram trucks that warms the fluid when you first start. And we're looking to get that, that uh, automatic transmission fluid up to about 190 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the, the perfect temperature, if you like, for efficiency. Boy, on a cold winter morning, I'd rather be at 190. Forget the transmission. <laughs> right. We, we basically manage both the interior and the transmission and the engine warm-up. So it's all taken care of by our electronic system. Jordan, uh, I got to believe when you talk about uh, 
GM really focusing mm -hmm. on real world fuel economy. It's all got to do, doesn't it, or a lot of it, how you calibrate the engine and the transmission and working together for the, the EPA test. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sure you can skew things in a way that really work well on the test, but Absolutely. not in the real world. Is, is that what you're talking about? When no, you... um, but that is a key point. I mean, ultimately, drivability has to be good for the customer. You don't want them to, to suffer because you're trying to get really good fuel economy numbers. For example, holding sixth gear forever or eighth gear forever and not letting it go uh, when the customer wants to accelerate. Down, yeah. to, to a lower so you gear. want it to drive smooth. Um, but what I was really referring to is just the shape of the torque curve. We want to develop a torque curve that is very full, very satisfying, very responsive to drivers' needs. But when you develop that torque, you want to do it in a way that you're using every drop of energy from that fuel. And ultimately, if you burn all the fuel in the combustion chamber, you can extract all that energy and you're going to convert it into power. And you'll have low emissions as a result as well. So it's getting the fundamentals right. It's making sure the combustion system is really well ironed out. And as proof, uh, the LT1 Corvette engine, Gen 5, uh, 11 and a half to 1 compression ratio, uh, we have 50 foot-pounds more torque off of idle up to peak torque uh, relative to the LS3, the Gen 4 that it replaces. Because of the combustion system and the, and the direct injection fuel system, we've raised the compression ratio, and we have a torque curve now that matches the 7-liter LS7 all the way up to peak torque. So when you have that much torque at the low end, you can run a four-cylinder mode a long time because effectively the engine's making uh, well over 200 and, uh, 250 foot-pounds or 225 foot-pounds of torque, uh, which is a lot of torque. And, and that, that's, that's key, is making sure that you're, you're burning the fuel, uh, your combustion system is optimized, and that um, you're achieving the fuel economy and the performance balance that the customers are expecting. It's amazing to me that here's an engine that's basic architecture goes back 60 years. Mm -hmm. And you're still learning things about this engine. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about millions of computational hours in just the combustion chamber. Right. Yeah, and it's true. I'm, I'm sure my colleagues here can attest to the fact that every time you get a chance to do an all-new engine, it's a very exciting thing for a couple of reasons. Is, and, and the primary one is you get to use all the latest and greatest analysis tools, all the things that you've learned uh, to apply to an all-new engine design. So the small block we're very proud of because it, it really has evolved, but it, it's effectively an all-new engine. Uh, relative to the Gen 4, we have three parts that are common. Starter bolts, the bolts to hold the starter on, uh, valve spring retainers and piston circlips. So there's really not much that is carryover. But a, a lot of that's attested to the fact that we get a chance to re-optimize every single component on the engine. And GM, and I think Ford and Chrysler may be similar, we start with a combustion system. It all starts with combustion. And if you do a really fine job in that combustion system, the rest of it falls into place very nicely and you're very happy with the results. Maslin, let's go back to electrification for a moment. There's different techniques uh, of approaching that. You know, you can have very strong hybrids that can run in EV mode. You might have something that just gives a little bit of electric assist uh, to take some of the, the strain off the engine. Where, where do you see it all going? Uh, mild hybrids, strong hybrids, plug-ins. What do you think the public's really going to go for? So far, we think that full hybrids, um, the, the real hybrid vehicle where you can uh, drive the vehicle electrically and uh, maximize their regenerative braking, which is effectively you know, eliminating waste, if you will, during braking and being able to reuse that energy is where, where we think that the future is, is going to be going. Full hybrids are going to still be very strong in terms of uh, meeting uh, the, the customer uh, uh, demands. The plug-in hybrids are uh, a very uh, interesting solution. And uh, you know, I just came back from uh, California where we drove with some uh, customers and some journalists. And they're just amazed at the 
Fusion Energy Plug-in Hybrid and the C-Max Energy Plug-in Hybrid, how you can drive that vehicle just like an electric vehicle, minus the range anxiety. It gives you up to 21 miles of yeah. full EV driving. So someone like me who lives you know, about five to 10 miles away from work, you can drive it like an electric vehicle all week long and never use gasoline. And it's, uh, aside from the fuel economy, it, it's, it's a nice driving experience. It's very smooth, very quiet, instant uh, torque when you apply the gas. So we, we think plug-in hybrids will have uh, an important role to play in the future, but really like the, the full hybrids are gonna be the, the volume uh, driver. But again, like, like I mentioned in my uh, opening uh, remarks here, we, we really approach it as uh, the power of choice for the customer. We're offering this range of electrified uh, and non-electrified uh, products for the customer, and uh, we'll see where it goes. 48 volt is something that Europe seems to be uh, mm -hmm. interested in now, less so in uh, North America, so we're, we're going to be part of that space too. Jamie, which way do you see it going? Because of course Chrysler doesn't have it, offer any hybrids right now. We're really aimed at, at sort of the heart of the market. We've, we've introduced technologies like start-stop in our HFE truck packages, which is kind of bookending the one end. And then we've got the 500 battery electric vehicle we've just announced as well. Um, when we look at the systems approach and we look at the, the customer base, and try and figure out what is the right value proposition for the customer. We are struggling to see um, electrification being right for this point in time. It's clearly coming. Clearly down the line we're going to need to go down that path. We're looking at the technologies, but for now um, we're trying to deploy technology that the customer sees a benefit from. With the exception of the Toyota Prius, really no hybrid sells in significant volume. Right. I mean, the market, I think, is about 5%. It's under 5% of the volume. It's so about 3.5%, yeah. and that mm -hmm. includes all the plug-ins and the yeah. electrics and so, the milds in that mix. So, John, if I may, I, um, that statistic may have been true about a year ago. Now there is a new player in town in terms of the hybrids. If you look at uh, the market share for electrified vehicles, uh, Ford now with our third generation, which started kind of late last year, we've already captured about 15% of that uh, total market. And a lot of that volume is coming from Prius, as you mentioned. Which well, has but that's been it. Added. I think that's the point. Ford has clearly been very successful with the C-Max and the Fusion Hybrid if you look within the diffusion in the hybrid market right. mm -hmm. but it looks to me like all it's done is stolen sales from toyota the whole hybrid market has Definitely not grown increased. in sales and in fact uh you know for through the first quarter uh sales of hybrids were down which mm -hmm. caught me unawares I, I i wasn't aware that that had happened but uh uh Jordan, I want to come back to you. You know, I, I got to believe, or, or uh, to Jamie, I, I got to believe one of your strategies is downsizing. I got to believe all of mm -hmm. you are looking at downsizing smaller engines and then boosting them. Is it uh, turbocharging or supercharging? To no? pressure charging, we don't have a significant um, play there yet. Um, again, by, by adding the um, eight-speed transmissions, that's enabling us to deliver a lot of torque to the wheels because of the gear ratios. It also then enables us to use smaller um, naturally aspirated engines. If you take the, the 3.6 uh, eight-speed as an example and drive that vehicle, 
it's performing in a very similar way to our old 576 speed in terms of its performance. So the, the transmission technology is allowing us to actually reduce the displacement on the engines. You can just turn the engine slower, really, with yeah. more gears yeah. in it, right? Yeah. And get now, fuel economy that you've way. You've also got the launch yeah. performance. We've got a um, launch ratio, which is over four. Um, gives you lots of torque to the wheels in first gear. And then basically, by the time you get to eighth gear, you're at a similar overall drive ratio as you would be in a traditional vehicle today. So. Uh, to your point, uh, downsizing and boosting uh, and the trend um, a lot of us are in, involved in that strategy. Very important, you have to match the displacement of the engine with the size of the vehicle. Big, heavy vehicles with small, highly boosted engines just do not drive well. Right. And you may get good label numbers, but if your foot's in the throttle all the time and you're under boost, because when you're under boost, you're using fuel. Uh, to make power and to cool the engine, you're using quite a bit of fuel. So it, it's very important to get the right balance between the mass of the vehicle, the displacement of the engine. And, and it, to Jamie's point, uh, doing the, what he did with the three six and the and the eight speed, yeah, you do. I've driven the truck; it drives it drives pretty nicely. But if you don't have the displacement for the low end torque in order to be able to use the truck for towing, uh, we found that that could be a detriment. It's important that the truck can be used like a truck is supposed to be used for towing and for work purposes. And yet, even Mark Roy said, General Motors has said he doesn't see how GM can hit this this fuel economy target for pickups without some electrification in them. Yeah. Is that still the case, or are you learning you other to ways? Ask Mark, about that. Oh, okay. One. Yeah, he has an opinion about it. Okay. Well, let's yeah. go back to boosting then. Turbocharger mm -hmm. or supercharger? You seem to be going we do with both. GM has both. Both. And we have some applications that work very well for turbocharging, and some work very well for supercharging. Supercharging is, technologies have gotten quite sophisticated over the years. There's next generation super, um, superchargers that Eaton's been introducing, and we've been applying a lot of our engines uh, to very good effect. And if you look at the fuel economy differences between the two, they're very, very subtle. Uh, they used to not be so subtle, they're very, very subtle now. Supercharging gives you that instant throttle response, and it's what everybody loves, is it's intoxicating. You tip in that throttle, you don't want to wait for turbos to spool up, you want instant, uh, immediate throttle response, and you do get that with a very high efficient supercharger. So we do look at both, and we have applications that work well, one versus another. V engines, it's, uh, the intake manifold comes out, the supercharger goes in, it's part of the intake manifold, it's a very elegant design solution, and it still allows the engine to be compact. Uh, to put a supercharger on a four-cylinder engine, eh, not so much, because it's like driving another accessory, like an alternator, for example. Uh, so it, it may be worthwhile to look at some other alternatives, like a, a turbocharger, for instance. And Mazen, do you see, uh, is it an either-or? You go small displacement, turbocharge or supercharge, or electrification? Or are we going to see both? It's quite possible, and, and there are some who, who have uh, put them together. And uh, you know, in terms of the supercharger versus turbocharger, the neat thing about turbochargers is that you're reusing energy in the exhaust gas that otherwise would be wasted. And, and then packaging-wise also, you, you're, you're, it, it, it offers you a, a pretty uh, optimized package. Now, Jordan mentioned some of the instant response of the supercharging, and that, that is true, but when, when you design it as a complete system, and uh, some of the things we've done on our uh, EcoBoost engines is integrate the exhaust manifold with the cylinder head and reduce the time be between the exhaust leaving the combustion chamber and, and hitting that turbo uh, wheel. In 
tremendously improves the response and you end up with virtually no turbo lag. So it's really an optimized solution overall. And the more we, we have experience with these engines, the, the more they're, they're becoming uh, really an end solution for fuel economy, performance, and refinement, and, and that confident experience that the customers love. And it's not incompatible with electrification. And my guess is you, you may be seeing more of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say Mazin's right. Uh, the, the, the response on their EcoBoost is pretty decent, but their turbos are very small. And if you want a lot more power, the turbos are going to get bigger. And there's a trade-off. There's a balance there. If you want a lot of response or versus you want a lot of power, you're going to be making some decisions. So it all depends on what you want that vehicle response to be. For a truck, it's obvious that Ford targeted more of the torque side of the equation. Uh, but if you wanted more power out of the engine, it would be difficult to do unless you enlarge those turbochargers. Now, I, I must say that Carl Edwards, when he was driving the Taurus with that 3.5 mm -hmm. EcoBoost engine, with me as a passenger in that commercial, that he had plenty of power. <laughs> it was a real enjoyable ride. He, it's amazing how he pushed that Taurus to, to an extreme on, on a NASCAR racetrack. It, it was... Quite I, could, an I could take you for a ride in the Corvette, uh, the ZR1 with the 636 horsepower supercharged engine, and it'll probably put a smile on your face too. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will, and, and I'm, I, I wouldn't propose racing the Corvette with the Taurus either. Right. So. Yeah. Jamie, we're getting down close to the end here, but uh, we haven't even talked about some of the other fuels that are becoming available now, whether it's uh, compressed natural gas or liquid propane. And of course, Fiat's got a lot of experience over in Europe with compressed natural gas. Is there a lot of ideas being traded back and forth between Chrysler and Fiat and powertrain development? Uh, absolutely, John. Um, as you mentioned, Fiat's uh, experience with compressed natural gas is, is immense. So we've been able to tap into that. Um, we recently launched the Ram 2500 CNG. That's uh, the first truck being built by the OEM. It's what our customers were asking for, was rather than go to an upfit center, can you guys build the whole system? So we've done that. We've seen um, great benefits in terms of CO2 emissions. So that's been good. Also, we've, uh, we're, we're exploring diesels for US. Um, as you know, we've announced the Grand Cherokee that's just been announced. We've also mentioned that that's coming for the Ram 1500. That's another uh, opportunity for us uh, to use Fiat's technology. And with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. I want to thank Jamie Standring from Chrysler, Mazen Hamoud from Ford, and Jordan Lee from General Motors. Been great having you all on the show. Thanks, thank you, John. Thank I want you. to thank all of you for having tuned into AutoLine this week. Auto Line This Week is underwritten in part by and endurance. We're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The hybrid game MPG Challenge.